The Photo Vault. A journey into vernacular photography, archives and photo books. Hi and welcome to The Photo Vault. This is our first episode that goes along with the inauguration of the Vernacular Social Club, a meeting point for those interested in vernacular photography, collecting of any kind and creating artwork with the remnants of the past. Each episode of the Photo Vault will bring you insights into vernacular practice from different angles and voices of those who think, collect and create in this world of imagery. That could be Artists, photographers, curators, photo book makers, printers, librarians, archivists, and those who deep down in their basement have some bizarre collection I will try and dig up. The podcast will be in English in general. In case our guests prefer to speak another language, we will make different language episodes and translate those to English in text or try AI voice generator. But more to that later on. My name is Lukas Birk, I'm one of the Vernacular Social Club founding members and deeply engaged in vernacular photography through my practice as collector, publisher and narrative creator with the archives I curate in countries such as Afghanistan, where I worked for a long time, India, Myanmar or my native Austria. The Vernacular Social Club is also producing a publication called Revue. Our inauguration edition is titled A Brave New World. Revue will be our outlet in print, giving a visual voice to our members on different themes. That means if you join the club, you can also suggest themes or take over an issue. If you haven't seen Revue yet, go on our website, vernacularsocialclub.org. You will have links and references from each episode in the text section. Before we dive into the topic of our first review edition, let's start for those new to the subject with what is vernacular photography? The word definitely has an omnipresence in the photography world at the moment and has been used left and right to describe anything from found images to amateur photography. But let us dig a bit deeper to create ground zero here on this podcast. I want to hear from the Vernacular Social Club members what this type of photography is to them. We start with Jean-Marie Donat, who initiated the club and has been an active collector of photography for 35 years. He turns his collection into publications and exhibitions, translating imagery into themes that give us a wider understanding of the social and political environments the images were taking in. Vernacular photography is a rather barbaric term, but what I find interesting is that uh, I'd say it's an expression that's a bit uh, variable geometry. It's about uh, non-artistic, even non-professional images, although that's not entirely true. Uh, a vernacular, the term comes from architecture. A vernacular architecture is the architecture of the province. For me, vernacular photography ranges from the family photo uh, to uh, the professionally taken photos in a fairground, uh, to neighborhood photos, postcards, uh, anything that revolves around a somewhat popular material, even in magazines. In my opinion, photography becomes vernacular when it is not used anymore for the purpose for which the operator conceived it. And that's all there is to it. In other words, x-rays of my lungs remain photographs, but they become vernacular if I do something else with them. Jean-Marie, like many artists working with vernacular, delves deep into accidental aesthetics and juxtaposing of privately created imagery that forms a new narrative when you take it into a 
public discourse. Another distinguished voice, writer, critic, but also visual artist, Lucy Sant, who, apart from doing many other things, is a professor at Bard College in writing and photography. Vernacular photography for me, well, you know, it shifts, of course, and it's very loose boundaries here. But generally speaking, it's photography that was made for a specific purpose that was not artistic. That's the broadest possible definition. But it does tend to imply that the photographer was not aware necessarily of the art that he or she was making, only that they were executing a job. This is subject to debate, of course, because we don't know. We lack motivation. We have no idea. They might have been great avant-gardists isolated in Nebraska in 1905. You can only make the broadest sort of sociological guesses about these creators. But the fact is that we are able to look at them in a way that is different from the circumstances in which they would first have been viewed. Both Lucy and Jean-Marie will be part of another episode of this podcast with a full-length interview. I like to compare vernacular image language to linguistics, where vernacular refers to varieties of how language is spoken, in contrast to a higher form of language or a lingua franca that allows many people or tribes to speak to each other. Vernacular refers to dialects or a variety of speech that is used very locally, so by maybe a small group. I'm a native German speaker, I come from an area in Austria, Vorarlberg, that has an extremely strong linguistic identity, where you differentiate from one village of maybe 10,000 people to another, where you're from, by the dialect you speak. So that is vernacular as well. So far, we talked about a definition, but that is just to set the stage for what is to come on our podcast in the future. The more exciting part is, of course, what artists and editors are doing with this enormous wealth of imagery we have, and that often gets discarded, forgotten, or looked over. Vernacular imagery, it's everywhere. Every flea market on this planet on the walls of my favorite old hairdresser I go to, uh, the top restaurant visitors photographed and displayed in your pizzeria, and of course, most importantly, in your own family albums. What is exciting with these images is that we can read history from a very different angle than we're usually taught in an history class. It's not a power structure, top-down, because usually the winners and rulers decide what is worth talking about. No, it's how history has been lived and how the world is appropriated by its citizens, and not by those who dictate the politics of it. That is always what I'm interested in, how I create books and narratives to bring out voices from people and their stories, looking at a private world that talks about society at large, not historic facts and numbers and dates. So, wherever I am in this world, you will find me at flea markets, the junkyards, the basements to be emptied, and the photo studios that feel that their archives have no value. This podcast and the Vernacular Social Club with its publication and stories shine a light on how we can rewrite history, or at least rethink history, by looking at private imagery. A Brave New World, that is the title of our first Revue edition, where we explore the theme of starting something that goes towards the future. A theme we can see all around us, the future prediction the inauguration of the future through products, events, political ideas or innovations. 
Looking at old newsreels gives us a pretty good example of how audiovisual media has been used to solidify a brave new world. From far and near come countless visitors. By every mode of travel, every means of transportation, they arrive to view the marvels of the greatest exposition in history. The 700-foot trilon rises above all else, and the circling helicline that leads into the Paris Fair's exhibit Democracy is a pathway to the future. Thousands are treading to get a fascinating preview of things to come. That's a newsreel talking about the 1939 World Fair in New York, propagating the world of tomorrow. And just like old photographs, old radio and media pieces give an excellent clue of the ideas of the past and how we see them differently today, as we're all products of our time, of course. These kinds of officiations of events that have been used in many forms and clearly also abused as political strategy. The way of coming up with something new and exciting, an innovation that has to be celebrated even before it has proven to be any good, that's all around us. Just think about the way Microsoft or Apple creates their product lounges, this massively televised shows. It's like a promise, like a political party promises you something before you go and vote. Media plays a key role on how we perceive the world. It indicates to us what is important. And it also validates it. Because nowadays, if something is not on social media or before TV and radio, it hardly exists. Of course it exists, but it probably has no meaning to you or me because we just don't know about it. For example, a very regional dispute, or an accident, or any kind of happening. So, what has that to do with vernacular photography, you might ask? Well, because we read in the past what happens in the future. No need for fortune-telling, just looking at propaganda of the past helps us so much, because we have that distance, to understand what is going on today. So to be self-critical of our publication Revue, we're doing something similar, like brands or political parties. It is also a propaganda for our cause, which is to give relevance to the vernacular event, because we think it's important, and by making a publication or this podcast, we create a reality around our ideas. We make it important for others. Well, hopefully also for you, of course. So, in this edition, we have contributions by artists and collectors such as Eric Kessels, Thomas Souvent, Anne Delaris, Christophe Leflon, Thiomar Stoyanov, Florian Vigneron, and others. And you will see some surprising materials that might look mundane at first, like cars on a street, black and white photo. But analyzing the image further, we recognize it was used to celebrate the advancement of the automobile. Or there's a great shot of a lottery winner, $1 million, as the lottery is certainly a big promise for a new life. It also is a good way of keeping society at bay and thinking more about the future rather than how we change today. One of my favorite images, though, is from the Jean-Marie Donat collection of a beautiful lady dressed and done up in the 1950s praying on a dinner table in front of an enormous turkey. Looking at these images from the past, we can clearly reflect on the absurdity, as we have that distance of time. But I think, and this is why I'm so engaged with old photos, it is that we can right away reflect on what is happening today in a similar fashion. After all, our desires haven't changed that much. And that lady thanking for that enormous piece of meat in the 1950s has now a completely different meaning. This turkey 
affordable for everyone in society, made possible through post-war manufacturing and industrial meat production, which we know now has huge side effects that we were trying to find a remedy for. So Revue is looking at commemorating of events, places, happenings or ideas, like the future or what we need to be happy. And often brands, politics and industry created or creates these forms of fictionalized realities that are easy to believe and follow. That line of creating a fiction that manifests as real through media. But this is nothing new. We can go into historic mythologies and we will find the same thing. The commemoration of a starting point is extremely important when we look at religions or mythologies around nations and their leaders, as well as political movements that can be pinpointed to one event, one person, and one day so on. After five years of work, the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge is completed. The world's longest single-span suspension bridge that cost over seven million pounds. San Francisco's mayor cuts through the silver chain with a blow lamp, and from each end of the bridge, the motorcade speeds on to meet in the center and symbolize the completion of a great engineering achievement. Overhead, the US Air Force roars. A thousand feet below, the Navy churns the water into froth. The power and fiction of imagination towards how something started and is or was celebrated is what we concern ourselves with in the Revue, A Brave New World. Which is of course the title of the still incredibly valid book written by Aldous Huxley in 1932. The novel examines a futuristic society called the World State that revolves around science and efficiency. In this society, emotions and individuality are conditioned out of children at a young age. And there are no lasting relationships because everyone belongs to everyone else. Brave New World was written between the wars, at the height of an era of technological optimism in the West. Huxley picked up on such optimism and created the dystopian world of his novel so as to criticize it. Much of the anxiety that drives Brave New World can be traced to a widespread belief in technology as a futuristic remedy for problems caused by disease and war. And that definitely has an echo to today. First of all, can you detail for us what life in this Brave New World, which you fear so much, what life might be like? Well, to start with, I think this kind of the dictatorship of the future, I think will be very unlike the dictatorships which we've been familiar with in the immediate past. That if you want to preserve your power indefinitely, you have to get the consent of the ruled. And this they will do, partly by drugs, as I foresaw in, uh, in Brave New World, partly by these uh, new techniques of, uh, uh, of propaganda. They will do it by bypassing the sort of rational side of man and appealing to his uh, subconscious and his uh, deeper emotions, and so making him actually love his slavery. I mean, I think this is the danger, that actually people may be in some ways happy under the new uh, regime. There's a link in the text part of this podcast to this interview with Aldous Huxley and a full dissemination of the book from which I read earlier. To finalize this short episode, I will give you the Vernacular Social Club president, Jean-Marie Donat, with a brief intro on what the club is. Uh, the Vernacular Social Club is of sorts uh, an old-fashioned style club with members. It's open to all. It's about highlighting everyone's desires and appetites around popular images, 
photos, uh, newspaper clipping, postal items with a societal, social and political approach telling the story of uh, the 20th century and the 21st century. That, talking about a brave new world, is actually not the real Jean-Marie Donat. He said this, and also the statement on vernacular photography earlier, in French. And we used an AI to synthesize his voice pattern and give the AI an English translation of what he said. It's a brave new world. The Vernacular Social Club is a membership club. You can sign up online on our website and receive copies of review printed and delivered to your doorsteps, as well as special offers on books, access to future events, and a pool of like-minded, vernacular-interested people. This was our first short inauguration episode. Coming up, we will have interviews with curators, artists and collectors on visual culture and the importance of rethinking image memory. Until then, Lukas Birk says ciao.